0: Section 10 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lucy Lafaro, New South Wales, Australia. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 1, by Anonymous. Translated by Dr. Jonathan Scott section ten you must know that my father named Mahmud, was king of this country this is the kingdom of the black isles which takes its name from the four small neighbouring mountains for these mountains were formerly isles the capital where the king my father resided was situated on the spot now occupied by the lake you have seen the sequel of my history will inform you of those changes The king my father died when he was seventy years of age. I had no sooner succeeded him than I married, and the lady I chose to share the royal dignity with me was my cousin. I had so much reason to be satisfied with her affection, and on my part loved her with so much tenderness that nothing could surpass the harmony and pleasure of our union. This lasted five years at the end of which time I perceived the queen, my cousin, cease to delight in my attentions. One day after dinner, while she was at her bath, I found myself inclined to repose and lay down upon a sofa. Two of her ladies, who were then in my chamber, came and sat down, one at my head and the other at my feet, with fans in their hands to moderate the heat and to prevent the flies from disturbing me. They thought I was asleep, and spoke in whispers, but as I only closed my eyes, I heard all their conversation. One of them said to the other, Is not the queen wrong not to love so amiable a prince? Certainly, replied the other, I do not understand the reason, neither can I conceive why she goes out every night and leaves him alone. Is it possible that he does not perceive it? "'Alas,' said the first, "'how should he? "'She mixes every evening in his liquor the juice of a certain herb, "'which makes him sleep so sound all night "'that she has time to go where she pleases. "'And, as day begins to appear, she comes and lies down by him again, "'and wakes him by the smell of something she puts under his nostrils. "'You may guess, my lord, how much I was surprised at this conversation.' and with what sentiments it inspired me. Yet, whatever emotion it excited, I had sufficient self-command to dissemble and feigned to awake without having heard a word. The Queen returned from the bath. We supped together, and she presented me with a cup full of such water as I was accustomed to drink. But instead of putting it to my mouth, I went to a window that was open and threw out the water so quickly that she did not perceive it and returned. We went to bed together, and soon after, believing that I was asleep, she got up with so little precaution that she said loud enough for me to hear her distinctly, Sleep on, and may you never wake again. She dressed herself, and went out of the chamber. As soon as the queen, my wife, was gone, I dressed myself in haste, took my scimitar, and followed her so quickly that I soon heard the sound of her feet before me and then walked softly after her, for fear of being heard. She passed through several gates, which opened upon her pronouncing some magical words, and the last she opened was that of the garden which she entered. I stopped at this gate, that she might not perceive me, as she passed along a parterre. Then, looking after her as far as the darkness of the night permitted, I saw her enter a little wood, whose walks were guarded by thick palisados. I went thither by another way, and concealing myself behind the palisados of a long walk, I saw her walking there with a man. I did not fail to lend the most attentive ear to their discourse, and heard her address herself thus to her gallant. I do not deserve to be reproached by you for want of diligence. You will know the reason." But if all the proofs of affection I have already given you be not sufficient to convince you of my sincerity, I am ready to give you others more decisive. You need but command me. You know my power. I will, if you desire it, before the sunrise, convert this great city and this superb palace into frightful ruins, inhabited only by wolves, owls, and ravens. If you would have me transport all the stones of those walls so solidly built beyond Mount Caucasus, or the bounds of the habitable world, speak but the word, and all shall be changed. As the queen finished these words, she and her lover came to the end of the walk, turned to enter another, and passed before me. I had already drawn my scimitar, and her lover being next to me, I struck him on the neck, and brought him to the ground. I concluded I had killed him, and therefore retired speedily without making myself known to the Queen, whom I chose to spare, because she was my kinswoman. The wound I had given her lover was mortal, but by her enchantments she preserved him in an existence in which she could not be said to be either dead or alive. As I crossed the garden to return to the palace, I heard the Queen loudly lamenting, and judging by her cries how much she was grieved, I was pleased that I had spared her life. As soon as I had reached my apartment, I went to bed, and, being satisfied with having punished the villain who had injured me, fell asleep, and when I awoke next morning, found the Queen lying. I cannot tell you whether she slept or not, but I arose, went to my closet, and dressed myself. I afterwards held my counsel. At my return, the queen, clad in mourning, her hair dishevelled, and part of it torn off, presented herself before me, and said, "'I come to beg your majesty not to be surprised to see me in this condition. My heavy affliction is occasioned by intelligence of three distressing events, which I have just received.' "'Alas! what are they, madam?' said I. "'The death of the queen, my dear mother,' she replied.' THAT OF THE KING MY FATHER KILLED IN BATTLE, AND OF ONE OF MY BROTHERS, WHO HAS FALLEN DOWN A PRECIPICE. I WAS NOT DISPLEASED THAT SHE USED THIS TO CONCEAL THE TRUE CAUSE OF HER GRIEF, AND I CONCLUDED SHE HAD NOT SUSPECTED ME OF BEING THE AUTHOR OF HER LOVER'S DEATH. "'Madam,' said I, "'so far from blaming, I assure you I heartily commiserate your sorrow. I SHOULD FEEL SURPRISED IF YOU WERE INSENSIBLE TO SUCH HEAVY CALAMITIES.' Weep on, your tears are so many proofs of your tenderness, but I hope that time and reflection will moderate your grief. She retired into her apartment, where, giving herself wholly up to sorrow, she spent a whole year in mourning and lamentation. At the end of that period, she begged permission to erect a burying place for herself within the bounds of the palace where she would continue she told me to the end of her days i consented and she built a stately edifice crowned by a cupola which may be seen from hence and called it the palace of tears when it was finished she caused her lover to be conveyed thither from the place to which she had caused him to be carried the night i wounded him she had hitherto prevented his dying by potions which she had administered to him, and she continued to convey them to him herself every day after he came to the Palace of Tears. Yet, with all her enchantments, she could not cure him. He was not only unable to walk or support himself, but had also lost the use of his speech, and exhibited no sign of life except in his looks. Though the queen had no other consolation but to see him, and to say to him all that her senseless passion could inspire yet every day she made him two long visits i was well apprised of this but pretended ignorance one day my curiosity induced me to go to the palace of tears to observe how the princess employed herself and from a place where she could not see me i heard her thus address her lover i am afflicted to the highest degree TO BEHOLD YOU IN THIS CONDITION. I AM AS SENSIBLE AS YOURSELF OF THE TORMENTING PAIN YOU endure. BUT, DEAR SOUL, I AM CONTINUALLY SPEAKING TO YOU, AND YOU DO NOT ANSWER ME. HOW LONG WILL YOU REMAIN SILENT? SPEAK ONLY ONE WORD. ALAS, THE SWEETEST MOMENTS OF MY LIFE ARE THESE I SPEND HERE IN PARTAKING OF YOUR GRIEF. I CANNOT LIVE AT A DISTANCE FROM YOU, AND WOULD PREFER THE PLEASURE OF HAVING YOU ALWAYS BEFORE ME, TO THE EMPIRE OF THE UNIVERSE. At these words, which were several times interrupted by her sighs and sobs, I lost all patience, and, discovering myself, came up to her and said, Madam, you have wept enough. It is time to give over this sorrow which dishonours both. You have too much forgotten what do you owe to me and to yourself. Sire, said she, If you have any kindness or compassion for me left, I beseech you to put no restraint upon me. Allow me to indulge my grief, which it is impossible for time to assuage. When I perceived that my remonstrance, instead of restoring her to a sense of duty, served only to increase her anguish, I gave over and retired. She continued every day to visit her lover, and for two whole years abandoned herself, to grief and despair. I went a second time to the palace of tears while she was there. I concealed myself again and heard her thus address her lover. It is now three years since you spoke one word to me. You answer not the proofs I give you of my love by my sighs and lamentations. Is it from insensibility or contempt? O tomb, hast thou destroyed that excess of affection which he bare me Hast thou closed those eyes that evinced so much love and were all my delight? No, no, this I cannot think. Tell me rather by what miracle thou becamest the depositary of the rarest treasure the world ever contained. I must confess, my lord, I was enraged at these expressions, for in truth this beloved, this adored mortal was by no means what you would imagine him to have been he was a black indian one of the original natives of this country i was so enraged at the language addressed to him that i discovered myself and apostrophizing the tomb in my turn i cried o tomb why dost not thou swallow up that monster so revolting to human nature or rather why dost not thou swallow up both the lover and his mistress i had scarcely uttered these words when the queen who sat by the black rose up like a fury miscreant said she thou art the cause of my grief do not think i am ignorant of this i have dissembled too long it was thy barbarous hand that brought the objects of my fondness into this lamentable condition and thou hast the cruelty to come and insult a despairing lover. Yes, said I, in a rage, it was I that chastised that monster according to his desert. I ought to have treated thee in the same manner. I now repent that I did not. Thou hast too long abused my goodness. As I spoke these words, I drew out my scimitar, and lifted up my hand to punish her. But regarding me steadfastly, she said with a jeering smile, Moderate thy anger. At the same time she pronounced words I did not understand, and afterwards added, By virtue of my enchantments, I command thee to become half marble and half man. Immediately, my lord, I became what you see, a dead man among the living, and a living man among the dead. After the cruel sorceress unworthy of the name of queen, "'had metamorphosed me thus, and brought me into this hall. "'By another enchantment she destroyed my capital, "'which was very flourishing and populous, "'and annihilated the houses, the public places, and markets, "'and reduced the site of the whole to the lake and desert plain you have seen. "'The fishes of four colours in the lake "'are the four kinds of inhabitants of different religions "'which the city contained.' The white are the Mussulmans, the red the Persians who worship fire, the blue the Christians, and the yellow the Jews. The four little hills were the four islands that gave name to this kingdom. I learned all this from the Enchantress, who, to add to my affliction, related to me these effects of her rage. But this is not all her revenge not being satisfied with the destruction of my dominions and the metamorphosis of my person. She comes every day and gives me over my naked shoulders a hundred lashes with the whip until I am covered with blood. When she has finished this part of my punishment, she throws over me a coarse stuff of goat's hair and over that this robe of brocade, not to honour but to mock me. When he came to this part of the narrative, the young king could not restrain his tears, and the sultan was himself so affected by the relation that he could not find utterance for any words of consolation. Shortly after, the young king, lifting up his eyes to heaven, exclaimed, Mighty creator of all things, I submit myself to thy judgments and to the decrees of thy providence. I endure my calamities with patience, since it is thy will things should be as they are. But I hope thy infinite goodness will ultimately reward me. The Sultan, greatly moved by the recital of this affecting story, and anxious to avenge the sufferings of the unfortunate prince, said to him, Inform me whither this perfidious sorceress retires, and where may be found her vile paramour, who is entombed before his death. My lord, replied the prince, her lover, as I have already told you, is lodged in the palace of tears, in a superb tomb constructed in the form of a dome. This palace joins the castle on the side in which the gate is placed. As to the queen, I cannot tell you precisely whither she retires, but every day at sunrise she goes to visit her paramour, after having executed her bloody vengeance upon me and, you see, I am not in a condition to defend myself. She carries to him the potion with which she has hitherto prevented his dying, and always complains of his never having spoken to her since he was wounded. Prince, said the Sultan, your condition can never be sufficiently deplored. No one can be more sensibly affected by your misfortunes than I am. Never did anything so extraordinary before any man and those who write your history will have the advantage of relating what surpasses all that has hitherto been recorded. One thing only is wanting, the revenge to which you are entitled, and I will omit nothing in my power to effect it. In his subsequent conversation with the young prince, the sultan told him who he was, and for what purpose he had entered the castle, and afterwards informed him of a mode of revenge which he had devised. They agreed upon the measures they were to take for accomplishing their design, and deferred the execution of it till the following day. In the meantime, the night being far spent, the sultan took some rest. But the young prince passed the night as usual without sleep, having never slept since he was enchanted, still indulging some hopes of being speedily delivered from his misery. Next morning the sultan arose with the dawn, and prepared to execute his design. Hiding his upper garment, which might encumber him, he then proceeded to the Palace of Tears. He found it lighted up with an infinite number of flambeaux of white wax, and, perfumed by a delicious scent, issuing from several censers of fine gold of admirable workmanship, as soon as he perceived the bed where the black lay, He drew his scimitar, and without resistance deprived him of his wretched life, dragged his corpse into the court of the castle, and threw it into a well. After this he went and lay down in the black's bed, placed his scimitar under the covering, and waited to complete his design. The queen arrived shortly after. She first went into the chamber of her husband, the king of the Black Islands, stripped him, and, with unexampled barbarity, gave him a hundred stripes. The unfortunate prince filled the palace with his lamentations, and conjured her in the most affecting tone to take pity on him. But the cruel wretch ceased not till she had given the usual number of blows. "'You had no compassion on my lover,' said she, "'and you are to expect none from me.' After the enchantress had given the king, her husband, a hundred blows with the whip, she put on again his covering of goat's hair, and his brocade gown over all, and went afterwards to the palace of tears, and as she entered renewed her tears and lamentations, then approaching the bed where she thought her paramour lay. "'What cruelty!' cried she. "'Was it to disturb the satisfaction so tender and passionate a lover as I am?' o cruel prince who reproaches me that i am inhuman when i make thee feel the effects of my resentment does not thy barbarity surpass my vengeance traitor in attempting the life of the object which i adore hast thou not robbed me of mine alas said she addressing herself to the sultan conceiving him to be the black my son my life Will you always be silent? Are you resolved to let me die without affording me the comfort of hearing again from your own lips that you love me? My soul, speak one word to me at least, I conjure you. The sultan, as if he had awakened out of a deep sleep, and counterfeiting the pronunciation of the blacks, answered the queen with a grave tone. There is no strength or power but in God alone, who is almighty. At these words the enchantress, who did not expect them, uttered a loud exclamation of joy. My dear lord, cried she, do not I deceive myself? Is it certain that I hear you, and that you speak to me? Unhappy woman, said the sultan, art thou worthy that I should answer thee? Alas, replied the queen, why do you reproach me thus? The cries returned the sultan the groans and tears of thy husband whom thou treatest every day with so much indignity and barbarity prevent my sleeping night or day hadst thou disenchanted him should long since have been cured and have recovered the use of my speech this is the cause of my silence of which you complain well said the enchantress To pacify you, I am ready to execute your commands. Would you have me restore him? Yes, replied the sultan. Make haste to set him at liberty, that I be no longer disturbed by his lamentations. The enchantress went immediately out of the palace of tears. She took a cup of water and pronounced some words over it, which caused it to boil, as if it had been on the fire. She afterwards proceeded to the young king her husband, and threw the water upon him, saying, If the creator of all things did form thee as thou art at present, or if he be angry with thee, do not change, but if thou art in that condition, merely by virtue of my enchantments, resume thy natural shape, and become what thou wast before. She had scarcely spoken these words when the prince, finding himself restored to his former condition, rose up, and returned thanks to God. The enchantress then said to him, Get thee from this castle, and never return on pain of death. The young king, yielding to necessity, went away from the enchantress without replying a word, and retired to a remote place, where he patiently awaited the event of the design which the sultan had so happily begun. Meanwhile the enchantress returned to the Palace of Tears, and supposing that she still spoke to the black said dear love i have done what you required nothing now prevents your rising and giving me the satisfaction of which i have so long been deprived the sultan still counterfeiting the pronunciation of the blacks said what you have now done is by no means sufficient for my cure you have only removed a part of the evil you must cut it up by the root my lovely black resumed the queen what do you mean by the root wretched woman replied the sultan understand you not that i allude to the town and its inhabitants and the four islands destroyed by thy enchantments the fish every night at midnight raise their heads out of the lake and cry for vengeance against thee and me this is the true cause of the delay of my cure Go speedily, restore things to their former state, and at thy return I will give thee my hand, and thou shalt help me to arise. The enchantress, inspired with hope from these words, cried out in a transport of joy, My heart, my soul, you shall soon be restored to your health, for I will immediately do as you command me. Accordingly she went that instant and when she came to the brink of the lake she took a little water in her hand and sprinkling it had no sooner pronounced some words over the fish and the lake that the city was immediately restored the fish became men women and children mohammedans christians persians or jews freemen or slaves as they were before every one having recovered his natural form the houses and shops were immediately filled with their inhabitants who found all things as they were before the enchantment. The sultan's numerous retinue, who found themselves encamped in the largest square, were astonished to see themselves in an instant in the middle of a large, handsome, well-peopled city. To return to the enchantress, as soon as she had effected this wonderful change, she returned with all expedition to the Palace of Tears, that she might receive her reward. My dear lord, cried she as she entered, I have come to rejoice with you in the return of your health. I have done all that you require of me. Then pray rise and give me your hand. Come near, said the sultan, still counterfeiting the pronunciation of the blacks. She did so. You are not near enough, he continued. Approach nearer. She obeyed. He then rose up and seizing her by the arm so suddenly that she had not time to discover him, he with a blow of his scimitar cut her in two so that one half fell one way and the other another this done he left the body on the spot and going out of the palace of tears went to seek the young king of the black isles who waited for him with great impatience when he found him prince said he embracing him rejoice you have now nothing to fear your cruel enemy is dead the young prince returned thanks to the sultan in a matter that sufficiently "'expressed the sincerity of his gratitude, "'and in return wished him long life and happiness. "'You may henceforward,' said the Sultan, "'dwell peaceably in your capital, "'unless you will accompany me to mine, which is near. "'You shall there be welcome, "'and have as much honour and respect shown you "'as if you were in your own kingdom.' "'Potent monarch, to whom I am so much indebted,' replied the king, "'you think then that you are near your capital?' Yes, said the Sultan, I know it is not above four or five hours' journey. It will take you a whole year to return, said the Prince. I do indeed believe that you came hither from your capital in the time you mention, because mine was enchanted, but since the enchantment is taken off, things are changed. However, this shall not prevent my following you. Were it to the utmost corners of the earth, you are my deliverer, and that I may give you proofs of my acknowledging this during my whole life, I am willing to accompany you and to leave my kingdom without regret. The sultan was extremely surprised to understand that he was so far from his dominions, and could not imagine how it could be. But the young king of the Black Islands convinced him beyond a possibility of doubt, that the sultan replied, It is no matter, the trouble of returning to my own country is sufficiently recompensed by the satisfaction of having obliged you, and by acquiring you for a son. For since you will do me the honour of accompanying me, as I have no child, I look upon you as such, and from this moment appoint you my heir and successor. The conversation between the sultan and the king of the Black Islands concluded with most affectionate embraces, after which the young prince employed himself in making preparations for his journey, which were finished in three weeks, to the great regret of his court and subjects, who agreed to receive at his hands one of his nearest kindred for their monarch. At length the sultan and the young prince began their journey with a hundred camels laden with inestimable riches, from the treasury of the young king, followed by fifty handsome gentlemen on horseback, perfectly well mounted and dressed. They had a pleasant journey, and when the sultan, who had sent couriers to give advice of his delay, and of the adventure which had occasioned it, approached his capital, the principal officers came to receive him, and to assure him that his long absence had occasioned no alteration in his empire. The inhabitants also came out in great crowds, receiving him with acclamations, and made public rejoicings for several days. The day after his arrival, the sultan gave all his courtiers a very ample account of the circumstances which, contrary to his expectation, had detained him so long. He acquainted them with his having adopted the king of the four black islands, Who was willing to leave a great kingdom to accompany and live with him, and in reward for their loyalty he made each of them presents according to their rank. As for the fisherman, as he was the first cause of the deliverance of the young prince, the sultan gave him a plentiful fortune which made him and his family happy the rest of their lives. End of section ten.